With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. The Freeman Report on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello once again and welcome to The Freeman Report, the show that puts the world's leading scientists, doctors, politicians and expert commentators right at the heart of today's news talk and our fight for freedom, liberty and justice. My name is James Freeman and on today's Freeman Report, I'll be exploring what defines an anti-Semitic image and whether a recent cartoon by Bob Moran fulfills that definition. In addition, I'll also be asking whether Laura Dodsworth was right to report Bob's latest cartoon to the police. Um, we'll also be speaking to somebody who has analysed extensive data gathered from death certificates that reveal a large and concerning surge in blood and circulatory related deaths that, no surprisingly, um, coincide with the COVID injection rollout. Evidence that corroborates other studies that show the harm being done by the COVID injections. Um, my first guest today is, in his own words, a comms guy with vast experience in business-to-business -business campaigning and content marketing. He is also the editor of The New Era, which publishes articles on free thinking and democracy. He's also an important voice in the freedom movement and somebody that I've spoken with offline in the past, although this will be the first time I've interviewed him. Um, I have great respect for Jeff Peel, and I'm delighted that he'll be joining me in a moment to discuss um, Bob's cartoons and whether um, this latest one has actually crossed the line. Now, the impetus for today's discussion, as I already mentioned, is uh, Bob's latest cartoon, which depicts the Israeli prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu sat at a dining table amongst the rubble of Gaza, eating the corpses of Palestinian children, while Fishy Rishi Sunak and Sleepy Joe Biden wait on his table. And at the top of the cartoon, it says kosher. And I do wonder if that is possibly the bit that needs debating, um, that, that use of the word kosher. It is a very raw message, and so it is not surprising that it's received as much attention as it has, particularly given that the topic is one of the most divisive issues in world politics at the moment. Now, the first thing I have to say about the cartoon is that it is a piece of art. And one of the important roles of art is to provoke, to challenge, and to make the beholder think and in this respect, this is exactly what Bob's latest work has done. It has sparked a debate. Um, as far as I can see, the two points of debate are one on the continued situation in Gaza and Israel's continued bombardment of Palestinian civilians. Um, you know, there's more than 10,000 children being killed by those bombs. Water still hasn't been turned on. So there's that um, debate about the ongoing situation. But also there's a second debate here about what constitutes anti-Semitism. To me, this second point um, is the most important thing to discuss here. We've discussed the situa situation in um, Israel many, many times, and I'm sure many of you know my views on that. Um, so is the image 
um, depicted by Bob, um, can it be classed as anti-Semitism? Um, the allegation states that this stance is used um, as a shield. And what I'm talking about there is um, there are allegations. Um, um, Ofa Kasif, sorry, I lost my um, train of thought there for a second. Ofa Kasif, when he was on the show here, he brought up an important allegation that the Israeli state and the government, um, you know, they use this allegation of anti-Semitism um, to, to act as a shield against criticism of their actions. That's certainly um, a view that I hold. I think there's great substance um, in that allegation. Um, but I guess the big question, is that a case um, today? However, and I think this is important, um, we don't want to discriminate on the situation here. So it is worth repeating, I think, again, that what Hamas did was evil and terrible, a terrible crime committed against the Jewish people and the Jewish state. I think most balanced people in this debate accept this to be the case and condemn those responsible for the attacks. However, it is my opinion that this no, in no way justifies the scale of killing of innocent lives that Israel has perpetrated since the attacks. And the International Court of Justice, the ICJ, stated as much when it refused Israel's request to play a 45-minute video of the attacks as part of its defense against the accusation of genocide that has been brought before Israel in the court. Now, the court refused the request on the basis that you cannot point to the attacks that Hamas did as justification for killing tens of thousands of civilians more than 10,000 children, as I've mentioned already. In my opinion, Bob's cartoon is a criticism of Israelis, um, Israeli government actions and not a wider attack on the Jewish people. In my view, how can it be when it is aimed very specifically at the Israeli prime minister? But anyway, it is controversial. And of course, that word that is put above the cartoon, kosher, is that the line? Was that the line that um, means that, um, you know, people are calling it anti-Semitic? I don't know, but we're going to talk about all of this in a moment. And we're also going to ask, was Laura Dodsworth right to report Bob to the police? But that's not all today. I've got two guests today and my second um, guest today. Sorry, I'm going to take a glass of water a second. Sorry about that. Um, I'm getting a bit dry throated there. Um, my second guest today has an MBA and a degree in engineering and a 30-year career researching and developing semiconductor devices and semiconductor manufacturing processes. So he's very much an engineer. Um, I came across um, John recently because of his work analysing data that he'd gathered from a large batch of de death certificates. Now, not that we need more evidence of harms that the experimental jabs are doing, um, but I was particularly impressed with how John had carried out his work and the conclusions that he had reached. Um, so make sure you stick around to the second part of the show where we talk about the evidence that he's collated showing um, the harms that the COVID injections are doing, not that we needed any more evidence. Now, if you watch yesterday's show, you will have heard from Dr. Shiva, who is currently running as an independent candidate in this year's US presidential elections. 
Overall, it was an engaging interview as Dr. Shiva does not pull his punches. He definitely doesn't. Um, he was very critical of many people, including Trump. And when I say critical, I mean he was calling people names. And, um, you know, I have to put my hand up and say they were quite derogatory at time. Um, I think Dr. Shiva would agree that that is a fair comment for me to make which I guess is pretty standard in US politics these days, and particularly when Donald Trump's speeches are concerned. However, he was very critical of Steve Kirsch. Now, it should be obvious to listeners of TNT um, that we no, in no way endorse um, the views and what Dr. Shiva said. Um, that is Dr. Shiva's opinion, and I guess he's allowed to express it. We are a free speech platform. But given what he said, I thought it was only right to get in touch with Steve Kirsch and invite him to appear on the show so that he has the chance to reply to the criticism of his conclusions on the New Zealand data leak. Um, this isn't about the name calling. It's actually because um, I've invited him on because um, Dr. Shiva is very critical of um, Steve's analysis. Now, when I put the question to Dr. Shiva, um, that was when he called Steve a name. He didn't really address the question. He pointed to one bit of analysis that he's done, um, which I'm, I have asked him for more details on that before the interview with Steve so that I can put these questions to Steve. However, anyway, I'm very happy to say that Steve has accepted and will be appearing on this show on Friday. Right, so make sure you set a reminder for Friday's show um, because we'll be talking all about the New Zealand data leak, link, leak, um, what Steve's analysis were, was of that and what he thinks of the criticism levelled on him from Dr Shiva. If you want to get in touch about any of the topics on the show, then email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And if you want to join in the conversation, it's really, really easy. It'll take you about two minutes um, head over to tntradio.live and click on the chat icon. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for today's News Talk TNT. The latest headlines waiting for you. I follow the news pretty much throughout the day. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello, Gemma. I didn't get a chance to have another drink of my water there. I was getting a bit of a itchy throat. I hope I'm not... Um, coming down with another bug all of my family seem to be and um, there's a lot going around at the moment isn't there yeah well yeah i mean it, there's always it's always that kind of accusation of this time of year my granny used to say for the winter we need it really cold gemsy it kills all the bugs there's so much has come out there about bugs and viruses and what they really are and the human body over the last few years i'm not sure what to believe but if you're not feeling right i feel very sorry for you yeah and i have been wondering that actually because we um, now we've got the wood burner um, we are keeping the house at quite a nice temperature. It's on pretty much all of the time. And I was wondering that very thing this morning, whether actually um, that is helping the bugs spread within the family. I don't know the answer to that. Anyway, hopefully I won't um, get any um, get ill again because I wasn't very well over Christmas. Anyway, um, I'm going on a tangent here. Gemma, what story have you got for us today? Well, it's a story relating to a court case uh, which <clears throat> is dominating the, the UK headlines. Um, but a new line has just emerged today. Uh, and it's a really interesting one because it, it, it looks back at the last four years and, you know, the after effects of the last four years, the real effects of lockdown, the real effects of the, the psychology of uh, what happened to us during lockdown. So we've had this court case where yesterday a man pleaded guilty 
in the UK courts to manslaughter by diminished responsibility. Now, you would think, oh, it's just a UK court case, but just bear with me on this. It was a guy called Valdo Calacane who was accused of stabbing three people to death in Nottingham in, in the UK last June. He stabbed two students who were walking home in the early hours of the morning, and then later on in the day, he stabbed a school caretaker. Uh, all of them died. Now, the families of the victims wanted a murder trial. They were calling for a murder trial, and that was looking like it was going to take place. But yesterday, he just pleaded guilty, which means there'll be no trial, pleaded guilty straight away to manslaughter by diminished responsibility. He's 32 years old. He's been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Um, and this is what's interesting. This is the new line that's come out on this today. His friends and family say that his mental health, which was already fragile, I mean, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. That's an extremely serious condition. But his mental health, they could chart the decline in his mental health and his conditions and his behavior right to the point where he stabbed tragically these people to death right from the point of lockdown. His friends and family, his parents have come out today and they have said that, you know, we could see the decline in, the, in our son, we could see the decline in our friend um, and police had opportunities to arrest this guy from 2020 onwards because he was um, he was first sectioned in May 2022 under the Mental Health Act for trying to break into someone else's flat in the block of flats where he lived. Uh, and, and also he, he was an, issued an arrest warrant in September 22 for failing to attend court hearing when he was accused of assaulting a police officer way back in 2021. So the warning signs were all there. This guy clearly was on a, on a slippery slope. He was committing numerous offences. And the police never really followed this up. They couldn't catch him. They were issuing all these warrants. And he, his behaviour went unchecked and unchecked until the tragic consequences of last June where three people died. Um, his mother and his father said he nosedived into depression pretty much as soon as lockdown happened. He was on extremely strong drugs. By the time of the attacks last year where people were killed, he was off his antipsychotic medication. Uh, but they are saying um, that the mental health from the first lockdown onwards, his mental health went downhill and the tragic result was the end result where three people lost their lives. Now, we talk a lot about the harms of lockdown and it can become a bit of an abstract concept. But when you see a story like this, the actual tragic end result of one person's effect of mental health during the lockdown. We talk about the effects on people's mental health and lockdown. This one had a very, very tragic end, according to his friends and family. We've no real way of quantifying this because, you know, this is a man with clear mental health conditions. He's pleaded manslaughter by diminished responsibility. He's been sectioned once. He will probably end up in a secure psychiatric unit um, under lock and key. Um, when he is eventually sentenced, it won't be going to a normal prison. So it's it, his testimony in, in itself will be unreliable um, because his mental health has deteriorated. But I wonder how many other crimes that have been committed uh, tragic crimes and, and horrible crimes since 2020 that were a result of lockdown, but the family and friends never made the correlation and never brought it into the public domain for debate. For me, I think it's obvious, Gemma, I mean, I can't talk about this individual case, obviously, but um, to me, it's obvious um, if you're going to lock people in their houses for a long period of time, um, put businesses um, out of business, um, keep children in from school and create these kind of mass um sort of events in 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 society you're always going to have negative things happening um lots of people you know suffering to depression um lots of old people declined in their health um because suddenly they weren't getting their exercise going to the shops um and getting out and about with their friends um and clearly it isolated a lot of people as well um you know and, and it affected their their mental health the other thing to mention here as well is 
Um, I wonder why the police um, were not on top of this more. Um, was that because they were out arresting people, having coffees or stopping children playing in the park? Because this was all going on during lockdown and obviously the police were were busy um, doing other things. Um, that's what I'd ask, um, you know, how could we prevent, um, how could we have prevented this? Because um, the police were doing ridiculous things at the time, weren't they? Um, you know, tracking, I saw drone footage of an old couple in the middle of nowhere on the moors with their dog, walking their dog, and the police were there with the drone tracking them out with their Labrador. Then you had the police out there um, pouring um, coloured ink into a lake somewhere up north um, because it was a beautiful lake and people were going. It was a beauty spot and the police wanted to stop people going there um, to get exercise out in the fresh air. Um, so, yeah, lots of bonkers things happened. And I think when bonkers things happen, well, what, what you know, bonkers things are going to happen in society. And I think, you know, I, 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 like I said, I can't comment on that specific case, but it doesn't surprise me one bit that we've got people that have declined um, for many reasons and many different people in society because of what was done. Um, right, we're going to move on, Gemma, because I've got two guests today. Um, but thank you for that story. Um, it is Wednesday. Gosh, it's Thursday already. Tomorrow, um, look forward to another story with you then. Um, to the rest of you, don't go anywhere. Stick with me, James Freeman on TNT. TNT's Steve Malsberg. If a president could be prosecuted for things he did, which he believed and was advised by his lawyers what, what was was the duty of the president to do. And then after the fact, after he's president, he could be prosecuted. The example has come up today many times. Well, when Joe Biden leaves office, he could be prosecuted for not securing the border. Barack Obama um, okayed drone strikes against American citizens overseas. He could be prosecuted for murder. I mean, this opens up a whole can of worms. Um, Pandora's box, I think, is the term that uh, that Trump used. Steve Malzberg on today's News Talk TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans. That's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. It's time to switch on today's News Talk Radio. Very entertaining. TNT. Right, well, I'm delighted to introduce my next guest, Jeff Peel. Um, Jeff, we have spoken offline a few times, haven't we, over the past couple of years, but this is the first time um, that I've interviewed you or you've been, or I've been interviewed by you, um, of course. You've got your <clears> own <throat> channel. Um, so, Jeff, um, give yourself a quick introduction and tell us um, about um, New Era, which is your platform um, where you publish articles on democracy and free thinking. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I started the new era about about a couple of years ago, really, um, as just an, a means, because I, I used to appear on programs like this, mainstream media programs, the BBC, very often to comment on economics and business and all sorts of things. And then, of course, when, uh, when COVID happened, um, I appeared on air for the BBC towards the end of uh, 2020, commenting on the... Uh, the PCR testing program at that stage and suggesting uh, on air, suggesting to people that they shouldn't really um, get tested for this uh, for this uh, COVID-19 uh, test because clearly 
it could uh, jeopardize their employment position and all sorts of things, particularly if they had no symptoms, but were were mandatorily tested. So um, for that, I was taken off air and I've never been invited back to any mainstream media channel since then. So I suppose I just wanted an outlet for my own viewpoint vis-a-vis COVID response. Um, and um, I started the, the blog really as an opportunity for me to interview people who were kind of movers and shakers and thinkers, free thinkers, critical thinkers. And um, it, it's been fascinating. I've, I've got to interview fascinating people who take, take a counter view to the mainstream narrative. Um, last week, I interviewed David Curtin, you know, the, the leader of the Heritage Party. Uh, like you with me, I'd never, I'd never actually met or spoken to David, but I, I wanted to hear his perspective on things. Uh, people like Jeffrey Tucker, you know, from Brownstone Institute. So it's given me a great opportunity to meet with some of the the best critical thinkers, really, uh, who are writing and producing some of the most original content around the crazy world that we're living in. Yeah, well, this is, um, you know, um, I think a loss for mainstream media and again for um, stations like TNT and also um, for those watching your content, um, you know, clearly you probably wouldn't have done all of this if that hadn't happened. Um, now, Jeff, the reason I invited you on today, as you know, um, I um, was on X um, a couple of evenings ago and there was a Spaces event going on. Um, I didn't stay for the whole thing, but I was there for a while. Um, I think I listened to the, the bit where you were debating with Lawrence Fox about um, Bob Moran's um, latest cartoon, which um, has been he's been accused of being anti-Semitic. So that's what we're going to talk about today. It is a touchy subject. I have to put my hand up and say I'm not an expert in this area. I've read up this morning about definitions and what the police say um, about this. I've got my own views as well, of course, as I always have. Um, but I guess to get, kick things off, um, Jeff, what's your thoughts if you were to sum it up? Well, Bob is is a provocative cartoonist. You know, the, the reason he was uh, kicked off the Telegraph, which obviously he was a staffer at the Telegraph uh, in the early days of, of, of COVID and, um, and produced content that uh, uh, obviously put the uh, leadership of the, the Telegraph group uh, ill at ease uh, because he was challenging the narrative. He was challenging uh, whether indeed this was a a true pandemic and obviously he was challenging the response to the pandemic particularly the the vaccination and the coerced vaccination uh rollout so his cartoons have been provocative uh since leaving the telegraph he has uh continued to produce original content and he i i think he would uh consider himself i can't speak in his behalf obviously i i have shared platforms with him and he's he's a a wonderful character and a, and a great thinker uh, but also he has this wonderful ability to produce extremely provocative cartoons. And the cartoon that he, he produced suggested that uh, three of our leaders uh, involved in the current conflict in, in Gaza um, were essentially using a, a moral imperative, you know, to engage in this war, uh, killing untold numbers of children. And were, uh, were portrayed as sort of feeding, having a feast of, of, of children. And the word kosher was used in the cartoon. And a number of people, including people from the broad group that we would call the freedom movement, uh, took offense at this. And uh, in the case of Laura Dodsworth, referred Bob to the Metropolitan Police. 
and, and suggested that um, that this was in some way anti-Semitic. Um, but of course, that's nonsense. It's it's the prerogative of of polemicists, and I would include Bob in that ca category as a kind of car cartoon based polemicist uh, to. Uh, challenge the narrative and, and challenge authority. And that's exactly what he was doing because essentially we, I, I think any right thinking person needs to judge all people, particularly leaders on the basis of their moral standing. And in the case of uh, Netanyahu and Biden uh, and Rishi Sunak who were portrayed in the, in the cartoon, um, you know, they have, uh, claimed to be, or in the case of Netanyahu, acting uh, on the on the basis of kind of God's will as uh, as as leaders, uh, and and slaughtering children in in Gaza, and uh, and and Bob I think has every right to draw attention to both the hypocrisy and the 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 awfulness of war. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you on that. Now. Um, we're going to go to the news headlines in just a second. But before we go, um, I think it's worth um, pointing out that some people are making a comparison with Nazi Germany and the propaganda that went on there. I guess my first point would be um, pointing out the difference between that period and this period. Um, as you rightly said there, you know, Israel is responsible. I don't think anybody is questioning that for the deaths of tens of thousands of innocent civilians and we know um there's estimates over ten thousand children have been killed now that they are facts they're facts about what has happened um you know the propaganda that was going on in nazi germany wasn't in that context israel wasn't doing those things it was an attack on the jewish people um so i think that's the first thing to point out but i have written down some definitions here including um a definition from the uk's college of policing um, which we'll look at um, after this short break, Jeff, because I do think for me, I personally don't. I, I, well, I, I'm absolutely sure that Bob didn't mean it to be anti-Semitic. Um, the only thing that I guess is is worth debating in terms of the technical definition is, I guess, the the word kosher, which has been put at the top. Um, but I certainly don't think his that was his intention to be that way. It's clear to me that he's singled out Netanyahu, um, Biden and Rishi Sunak, who are all complicit in the deaths of all these civilians. So um, stay where you are, Jeff. Um, and after this short break, we'll talk about the definition and the technic technicality, because that's how it will be judged, presumably by the police, if they do decide to investigate it. So don't go anywhere. Stick with me, James Freeman on TNT. What brings you here? News Talk Radio. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Donald Trump is one step closer to retaking the White House after winning New Hampshire's Republican primary in a landslide vote on Tuesday. Canada's top court has ruled the government broke the highest law in the land by invoking a national security law to crack down on protesters during the pandemic. And police have made a startling discovery in the US after finding a severed human head and other body parts stuffed inside a freezer in a New York City apartment. The common housefly. Caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. 
Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Right. So, Jeff, I did look at the definitions this morning. Now, the, the kind of um, the very broad dictionary definition of anti-Semitism is hostility towards and discrimination against the Jewish people. So I guess the, the key words there are hostility, discrimination, um, and obviously specifically targeting um, the Jewish people. Now, I also looked at the UK colleges, uh, a college of policing and what they say. Uh, they give a very, very detailed um, definition, which is based upon that that broad definition. But they do go on to also say criticism of Israel, similar to that levelled against any other country, cannot be regarded as um, anti-Semitic. So I guess, first of all, let's look at the, the the broad definition, hostility towards and discrimination against Jewish people. What What are your thoughts of the cartoon within that context of that definition? Well, uh, in in the instance of, of the Bob Moran cartoon, of course, he wa he wasn't making any comment about uh, the Jewish people or Jews or the Jewish faith. He was making comment about three world leaders, or in uh, the Israeli leader Benjamin Netanyahu, Biden, uh, and Rishi Sunak, who were sen essentially culpable in terms of the response uh, to the October the seventh atta attacks in in Israel. Um, so he wasn't making any comment about the Jewish faith. And he's made clear on Twitter that he didn't regard anybody in the cartoon as even being Jewish, because you have to judge people in the way that they act. The Jewish faith is a moral, is, is, a, is a faith guided by a moral code. And many people within the Jewish community uh, find the response to the October 7th attacks by the essential carpet bombing of Gaza to be a totally inappropriate response to to uh, th those attacks, and of course, even people who have raised issues about the the fact that the Israeli Defense Force seemed to abrogate its responsibilities in protecting the border between Israel and Gaza on October the seventh, that they seem to go away for seven hours. So there there is culpability on the part of Netanyahu for letting that happen. Why did it happen? And we haven't been given any satisfactory answers as to why it happened. So Bob's attack, and it is clearly a, a cartoon-based bit of polemic, is against Netanyahu. It is not against the Jewish faith or the Jewish people. He's simply saying that no one has the moral authority to act in the way that Netanyahu has in, in response to what happened on October the 7th and that the killing of 10,000, I'll give you some of the stats, you, you referred to some of them, James, but 22,000 targets uh, ha, you know, have essentially re received bombs or missiles or attacks from the Israeli forces, an average of 1,000 bombs a day. Um, 10, uh, this is, these are not my stats, this comes from the Save the Children Fund, 10, thousand children is an estimate of the number of children killed which is about one third of the total uh, of fatalities and 70 percent 70 percent of all gaza's homes residential homes have been destroyed that's 300 000 homes destroyed by um israeli artillery and and uh and airstrikes you know it is absolutely unbelievable that anybody should suggest that Bob's minor misdemeanor of drawing attention to the fact that we have seen depravity and evil bestowed on the people 
of uh, of of the Middle East of of Gaza in this way by the Israeli forces uh, should be referred to the police. You know, this is absurd. Yeah. Surely we have the right to to draw attention to the fact that these people have a behaved in an utterly abhorrent way. Exactly. And I, you know, I think, um, you know, looking back at the um, the UK College of Policing saying that criticism of Israel, similar to that leveled against any other country, cannot be regarded as anti-Semitic. Now, I wonder what the criticism would be if America was doing that or if another country. Um, I think it would be pretty much the same kind of criticism that is going on of, of Israel now. And I think the other thing to highlight here as well is that you know the, obviously israel is in in the court um the international court of justice at the moment now as part of its defense um the israeli government wanted to um, show a video um it's about 40 minutes long of the hamas attacks as part of its defense against what has happened since the court refused israel that privilege because what the court said is you cannot point to the horrible absolutely in the crimes that Hamas committed as a justification um, for what has happened since. And um, Jeff, I was listening to the radio um, this morning as I was doing the school run and, you know, water still hasn't been returned. There's not enough food there, um, you know, and there are still lots of people there um, are in Gaza, civilians, and, and the bombing continues and the fighting continues. That can be justified, and I think it is wholly right, this is my opinion, that um, people speak out about it and, and bring attention to the fact, which is exactly what Bob has done, hasn't he? Absolutely. And, and of course, the justification for the creation of the State of Israel was, you know, in response to the Holocaust, that this must not happen again and the Israeli people should be given their own homeland. But to use the approach of Nazi Germany to annihilate an entire people uh, simply in response to uh, a wrong that has been caused is is not justifiable. It's not justifiable in international law, and it's not justified on the basis of claiming to be acting in in uh, you know in some way for the Jewish people. Remember, Israel doesn't even contain the majority of of the Jewish people. They're scattered all over the world. About forty percent of Jews live in in the United States, about 40 percent in, in Israel. And even within Israel, Netanyahu does not speak for the Israeli people. He received uh, 24 percent of the popular vote in the, uh, the 2022 elections, the Likud party. So even he cannot say that he is speaking for the majority of people, mostly Jews, in Israel. So there is no moral justification for this response uh, whatsoever. You know, I will. I would use an analogy. I, I come from Northern Ireland, as you can probably judge from my accent. You know, during the worst of the Northern Ireland troubles, there were common insurgencies, if, if I could call them that, by the IRA into border counties in Northern Ireland, where they they slayed essentially, um, you know, part-time UDR officers or policemen or prison officers. But the response from the British government wasn't to carpet bomb Dublin. And when the British uh, army uh, behaved inappropriately, for example, in Bloody Sunday and, and slaughtered lots of people in the streets of, of Bloody Sunday, we that resulted in a public inquiry costing hundreds of millions of pounds. The response was never over the top or draconian or evil in the way that Netanyahu is behaving. Yeah, exactly. And I did have um, Ofer Kasif. He's a, a member of the Israeli Knesset, the parliament there. 
And this is what he was saying, because he's targeted in the country. He's being banned from the parliament for calling for an immediate ceasefire after the attacks, um, the Hamas attacks. And um, what he says, um, he had to correct me because I said about him speaking out against Israel. And he said, no, I'm not speaking out against Israel. I'm speaking up for Israel because actually what it's doing is counterproductive, both for the Israeli population in Israel um, and also the people of Gaza, because this isn't a road to peace, is it? Um, you know, what what this will have done now is um, radicalize many, many more people in the Middle East against Israel. Um, essentially, we, we've just created a new generation of terrorists and and people that see Israel as um, an evil enemy. Um, so it really is counterproductive to Israel as well, I think, in terms of its wider um, objective, which is to live in peace, because that's what they all want um jeff Absolutely. have you got anything final you want to say before before we go to the break yeah just just echo that point you know often these things these these situations orchestrated by by globalists and often defense manufacturers as well um and uh, and obviously you know israel might as well be the 51st state of america in many respects particularly in terms of its lucrative nature for uh, defense contractors uh, but often this is about putting people against people. You know, these are the people of, of the Middle East. The, the, uh, Israel is the administrator of Gaza. It has a responsibility to its own people. You know, th these are people. There's a common humanity here that has to be respected. And this is not about the Jewish faith or, or, or the Islamic faith. This is about respecting people and and showing them civility and human rights and respecting their human rights and their right to life and liberty and freedom and anything else is utterly evil and abhorrent and bob was absolutely spot on yeah thank you very much um ladies and gentlemen jeff peel and um, the final thing i'm going to say jeff is um you know i went over bob moran's post this morning and it's incredibly divisive um, literally, you get a couple of um, posts which are for and then a couple of posts which are against. There are obviously lots of comments. And these are all people that have stood shoulder to shoulder in our fight for freedom over the last um, three, four years. Um, I do think people have got to be, because um, it is a very, very um, divisive topic. A lot of people's emotions are running very, very high, particularly people with links and family in Israel. And I totally understand that. But I think, you know, we've got to be able to talk about this and maybe push the boundaries um, in terms of raising what's going on. And that's got to be part of a discussion rather than um, building up two sides of this argument that we end up then dividing the whole community, because that would be to the loss of all of us, I think. Right. Thank totally you very agree. much, Jeff. Um, thank you for You're coming on the report. I'd love to have Great you back you, soon. Right. OK, we're going to take a quick break now, but don't go anywhere, because after this break, we're going to talk all about new evidence that um, from death certificates of the harms that the COVID injections are doing. So stay with me, James Freeman on TNT. I said, could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing, at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, you know, what are we going to do if I die here? <laughs> How's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor Service. 
But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. Internet crimes against children in New Mexico are real. And when it comes to protecting your children, the New Mexico AG's office and the ICAC unit are on the front lines. I'm New Mexico Attorney General Hector Balderas. There's nowhere to hide for online predators in New Mexico. We are working tirelessly using state-of-the-art technology and resources to seek out and find them wherever they are. Please talk to your children about the dangers that exist online, social media, games, and messenger apps. It's always important to know who you're talking to. Help fight online predators in New Mexico by submitting a tip today. This is the Freeman Report with your host, James Freeman, on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, it certainly is the Freeman Report, and I am James Freeman. I'm delighted to introduce my next guest, um, John um, Bowdwin. Um, hello, John. How are you doing today? Very well. Uh, nice to meet you, and thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Um, as I said in the break then, um, I came across you. I watched an interview you did um, with Dale Bigtree um, on the highway. I thought it was absolutely excellent um, breakdown of the data, and obviously that's really interesting, well, dreadful but interesting conclusions that you found um john i wonder if you would start i mean i know you've got an mba um, and a degree in engineering um but i guess my first question um which i think is important is what qualifies you to kind of do this analysis and talk about what you're going to talk about today well i'm, I'm just a regular guy um th there doesn't need to be any qualifications because i don't get into statistical methods uh using p-values confidence intervals and so forth i provide information that is direct from the government um, it's just sorted in such a way that i can visualize um, the deaths of various causes uh, the times of year and the ages put them in graphs so people can understand regular people um, so my book that's right behind me actually has it's written for regular people. You don't have to be a doctor, PhD, or MD to understand. Um, I've spent, you know, thousands of hours on on calls with the PhDs and MDs, and we can talk about that stuff. But as far as qualifications, people used to discern what was good for them by what they saw in front of them. And doctors used to do that as well. And now it seems that doctors are deferring to a central authority of the CDC by turning their head while they're talking to you gathering your symptoms and typing them into a laptop, which then tells them the medicaments or, or med somebody told me not to use that word. So medicines uh, that they're going to prescribe to you. And it's always pharma. It's never anything but pharma. You know, that's that's how they're going to treat you. Uh, but yeah, there was a change in medicine. And most of the doctors now, um, a lot of them don't know what they're doing if they were in med school in North America after 1992. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay, John. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a symptom of modern life, to be honest with you. Um, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about policing and how, you know, years ago, you'd have a policeman that was taught to think on their feet and make judgments and make decisions. Whereas these days, they've also moved very much to a tick box uh, <clears throat> sort of way of doing things and a very prescriptive way of doing things where you have protocols for literally every situation. And we have definitely lost something 
um, I think in modern life, both within policing and clearly within the medical establishment as well. Now, John, um, tell us about this data that you got because you managed to get your hands on some um, death certificates, uh, didn't you? Tell us, tell us all about that. Sure. Um, so about almost two years ago, I had filled out eight different public records requests and submitted them through various people to spread it around and not have them just look at my name. <laughs> and uh, the only one that hit was the entire death certificate database for Massachusetts from 2015 through then early 2022. And that was about 420,000 unredacted death certificates. I have first names, middle names, last names, where the parents are from, the medical examiner's license number, office address, where the person's buried and all the causes of death and everything. So um, a year after that, somebody contacted me and they had Minnesota death certificates. Now I have those, plus I've had updates from Massachusetts. So that's a half million, another 400 and something thousand from Minnesota. And, uh, the, the 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 million that I have rounds out from Vermont, but we're missing ICD-10 codes from Vermont. It still has causes of death. We can do word searches. Uh, we can search on you know cardiopulmonary arrest or a pulmonary emboli, um, and, and still get valid data out of Vermont, but it doesn't have the codes. So yeah, I have, I have a million death certificates. A million. Wow, that is a huge data set. I guess. My first question, just out of interest and curiosity, is um, you must have learned quite a lot of skills over the last two years because that is a big data set. And, of course, it's very, very, um, you know, I do know a little bit about this. I used to work at the Office for National Statistics here in the UK. I didn't work on health statistics, but I knew people that did. Um, and all of these, um, I, I, you know, these codes um, of causation and everything, it, it does get very technical, doesn't it? Uh, yes, it does. And, you know, I didn't mean to be evasive in your first question about what qualifies me. But, you know, when, when you when you get an MBA and you have 30 years experience in sales and marketing, speaking to people and I, I've I've worked with everything from guidance control systems for nuclear missiles to implantable drug delivery systems. I was in semiconductor uh, research and development selling. You know, I had to be very technical with the people with whom I interacted. So I talked to the CTOs of companies. I also talked to the CFOs because I was doing seven and eight figure deals. And you can't just do that without understanding and knowing what he wants for the company. I have to know the CEO and what he wants. And then I have to understand behavior, psychology, and then taking the MBA and, and understanding systems analysis from an engineering point of view, the systems are broken in their interaction. So all the biologists will just look at biology, epidemiologists look at epidemiology and so forth. Who's looking at the behavior of, if you put a mask on somebody, uh, what will change in their behavior? Will they become, I don't know, uh, depressed, suicidal? Um, if you lock people in their homes, you have marriages that will otherwise work for 50 years, but now they don't seem to work too well. Somebody's being beaten, there's physical abuse, there's all kinds of abuse. I knew exactly what would happen as soon as they said those things. So getting back to uh, to center here, um, the death certificates, you could say they're technical, but I don't think all of the people who are looking at the data and statistics around the world are looking at it properly if they look at, say, the United States at 330 million people, because they think they're getting a valid data set, whereas they're getting a data set that has regional differences in variables, such as, you know, I have Minnesota and Massachusetts. And from those two, I can say, well, you know, if if they rate the 
different things on the death certificate, such as bone cancer, right? Or maybe it's bone marrow cancer, or maybe it's articular cartilage. There's this like a C4. I don't want to get technical for your audience, but let's say there's a code called C41 that's bone and articular cartilage. And there's another code called C79 that's bone and bone marrow cancer. Two completely different numbers that are tracked very differently, and it gets coded automatically by a software at the CDC called Transax and Acme. So yes, I didn't know any of this two years ago. I've had to learn it, but I'm pretty good at investigating. So what happens is the automatic software will take the English words on a death certificate and convert it to codes, and they're international codes. You have, again, central... They're trying to centralize everything and how you know everything works from an economics viewpoint within the health industry. And so these codes are used by all insurance companies, all countries around the world. And now imagine, if you will, the same thing happens to a cancer patient in Massachusetts as well as Minnesota. I I wrote the long thread, a long post on this yesterday on X or Twitter, uh, explaining it. Uh, I don't I don't think the scientists even understand the the that data integrity issues that cross different regions. So to sum it up in this answer to your question, um, the same things are written, or the same patients with the same issues are coded completely different because of the way the culture and practice of one location is versus another. And so there you have data mishaps and, mis and problems if you aggregate too much data because you get what's called Simpson's paradoxes, they step on each other. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, exactly. And I'd, I'd agree with everything you said there. And clearly, John, um, I think you've demonstrated that you, you know, you know your way around this data, but I don't want to take too much time talking about that, because, of course, you have found some conclusions, haven't you? And I think they can broadly fit into two categories. First of all, the actual harms that are being done by um, the injections, the COVID injections. And secondly, um, I think you've uncovered fraud, haven't you? Or I guess I, I'm not quite sure. Um, yeah, maybe that is the right term. I don't know, because we've obviously seen in the UK, for example, where they've categorized people that died within 28 days of having COVID. And that's gone down, you know, even if they were hit by a bus or something, that's gone down as a COVID death. So, John, um, tell us about the important stuff and what you've actually found. OK, so uh, I'll just I'm just going to follow my book because it'll make it fast for you. Um, I talk about people at first, but then I do get into fraud of commission and fraud of omission. The fraud of commission would be writing down something that um, <clears throat> is not true. And that is, was, was COVID causal in the chain of events that caused the person's death? Well, if they had a fentanyl overdose doing drugs and they test the dead body for COVID, they should not put COVID on there. That's a fraud. That's a fraud on the people. These are official state death certificates. They never would do that with flu. They don't test dead bodies for flu or, oh, well, did he have gonorrhea? I mean, well, what else can we put on there? Like Whatever the government wants to see on there, so somebody's incentivized. Now, this fraud is a solicitation uh, from the CARES Act and other laws in the United States that were passed to, I don't, I don't know what the point was. Was it to, to try to solve COVID, pump a bunch of money into putting words on paper? That does nothing. What it does is it, in, it was an incentive for them to put it on paper. Now I have fun, I have hundreds of fentanyl overdose deaths, blunt force trauma to the head, blunt force trauma to the torso. They tested dead bodies for COVID, they wrote COVID. And if they're willing to do that for, imagine, accidental deaths, which they did, 
What do you think they're willing to do for 95 year olds who die of heart attacks? COVID, 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 COVID. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think in the UK here, there were actually financial incentives as well um, for hospitals putting that down to give them money. So the whole system was incentivized essentially to inflate the actual COVID numbers and the deaths from COVID. Um, John, what about the first um, um, conclusions that you found, these actual harms that the um, the vaccines are doing or the so-called vaccines? Well, you know, it, it was so much data and I had to figure it out. So um, I created conditionals where the, the background of each cell would, would highlight and each cell I, I had a list of causes of death. And I had, I don't know, probably a hundred of them to start. I checked respiratory versus circulatory. Well, I, I didn't check that specifically at first. I had everything, cancers and, and uh, genitourinary and digestive system. And what happened, though, is I wanted to find out what was greater in what year, 2020 versus 2021. And when I put all the conditionals in there and I ran all the scripts and, and all the, uh, the equations that I had put in, what happened was 2020 highlighted for respiratory. And then all of a sudden I get to 2021 and the yellow column, all of a sudden the next column is, is 2021 for circulatory. And I'm like, uh-oh. You know, diseases don't all of a sudden kill you on a year boundary by, you know, changing how they kill you. You know, pneumonia one year and then disseminated intravascular coagulation, clots all over your body the next year, or acute post-hemorrhagic anemia. You know, you, you bled out, it's somewhere inside your body. Or cardiac arrhythmia, pulmonary embolism, clots in your lungs, st various stroke codes. So I was able to figure out um, that the, the, what I call the symptom spectrum profile, the spectrum of illnesses that cause death, changed on a year boundary from respiratory to circulatory. And from there, I was able to drill down, because I have all the records, into the individual pulmonary emboli deaths. And if you start looking at the younger ages, you get really good evidence. Because old people die of all kinds of things, and there's tens of thousands of them. How am I going to find anything? But if I go in and I look at you know under 40-year-olds, which really shouldn't die, I'd say, whoa, they're all dying of pulmonary embolism, emboli you know, all of a sudden. Like, well, what's going on there? So that that's how I uh, figure out what happened. Um, and then I get the individuals. And then um, the fraud of the, the fraud of omission, I found where vaccine was written on the death certificate and it wasn't coded by the CDC. They turned off the software that codes that. How do I know that? Because they coded one on January 16, 2021, using the word vaccination. And it was uh, acute bronchopneumonia in the setting of idiopathic thrombocytopenia. Idiopathic, we don't know where it came from. They know where it came from because he was just vaccinated. John, I think I think the one thing this highlights is the, the lack of official data that's been released globally. Um, sadly, we have run out of time. I'm, I'm feeling I should get you back on the show because we've only really just um, touched the surface. So, John, if you'd like to come back on, we'll arrange that um, for the next um, few weeks because um, I would like to talk in more detail. But, John, tell people where they can buy your book, what, it's, what is it called, and where they can go to find more information. Well, very good. Thank you. Uh, TheRealCDC.com. Uh, my book is over my shoulder. T-H-E-R-E-A-L-C-D-C.com. I'm on Twitter at, at J-O-H-N-B-E-A-U-D-O-I-N-S-R. 
and other places. I hear the music, so we got to go, right? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Thank you, John. John Bywin, everybody. Thank you, John, for coming on the Freeman Report. And we will get you back on again soon. Don't go anywhere. Stick with us on TNT. TNT.